Welcome everyone to the Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whippeck, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have with us Jeff Powell. Jeff is our managing partner and our chief investment officer. Jeff, it's great to talk to you today. I'm glad to be here. So Jeff, uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about the tax code and certainly um, some of the spending items that are on the docket with the Biden administration, talking about the current debt level in the U.S., which um, every year it seems like we're talking about all-time highs and this year being certainly one of them. And so uh, today I thought it'd be a great uh, time to talk about the current tax code, some of the proposals, and to really give a, a better understanding as to why we're talking about some of the things that we are today. And so I know one of the, the big things that everyone's talking about is why this desire, why this constant chatter about changing the tax code. So what is it that people are trying to, I guess, quote unquote, fix or change um, with what's going on in today's world. A lot of this is kind of getting back to a, a little bit of the fairness. So, I mean, right now, obviously, our government's spending money like it's never spent before. Uh, they are looking for uh, ways of being able to offset the spending so that there is uh, less debt that's going to hit our books. Obviously, you know, that is a real fear for a number of people. And obviously, you know, at some point, uh, you're going to have to pay for it. So the idea behind it is to to limit the accumulation of debt uh, by the government, if at all possible, uh, or to mitigate it some by, uh, you know, basically going back and, and re-looking at what's going on uh, from a, a tax code perspective. So uh, from the sounds of it, and again, this is a uh, an ever-evolving and changing subject matter, uh, but what they're talking about is potentially uh, restructuring corporate taxes as well as individual taxes and uh, and really having um, you know in, in a way starting to try to uh, to get rid of any of the loopholes that are out there. So even on a global basis, um, most of the nations are are uh, getting together. The G20 is getting together talking about creating a a, a global tax so that a, a corporation can't just move from one location to another in order to avoid taxes. Yeah, so, and I know that that's actually uh, a quote-unquote strategy that firms will uh, look at. In fact, Pfizer, not too long ago, um, got scolded for a tax inversion strategy where they were looking to um, re-corporate uh, themselves in a much lower tax jurisdiction. And so, Jeff, with the changes that occurred, uh, they set the tax rate to 21%, and so on the surface, I mean, some people may argue it should be higher. Um, some should argue that it'd be lower, but it would suggest that the government's getting 21% from these corporations, yet that's not what's happening. In fact, the uh, average effective tax rate is much lower. What's going on there? Why is it that we're not getting the 21% that was anticipated? Well, in some cases, it's also about where the business is actually getting done. Uh, so, I, for example, Microsoft had moved um, some of their software uh, sales to places like Ireland which was trying to build its economy and offered a significantly different tax rate for business being done there. So in order to, for Microsoft, for example, to enter into uh, the European Union, uh, they would set up shop in uh, Ireland. They would basically uh, create the programs, the everything else there, not create, but basically use that as a, a distribution center uh, and then sell into Europe from Ireland and then avoid the taxes that would occur from the United States as a direct result of that. So a lot of companies have 
I've kind of found these loopholes that are uh, in different tax haven states uh, in order for those countries to to kind of build upon their own economy at the sacrifice of us and uh, you know the United States getting the the true amount of money that it should be owed uh, under the circumstances. Yeah, well, and that and that makes sense. If you're a country that's not sharing in any of the revenue of a big corporation, I mean, even if you're significantly discounting the tax rate, something is better than the nothing that you're receiving before. And so I can see how this is kind of a race to the bottom as companies uh, vie at getting uh, that tax revenue within their country. The other well, thing even goes deeper than that, Jeremy. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, uh, unemployment goes down, uh, employment taxes would go up. So they might be missing the corporate tax, but then uh, the health of the underlying economy gets stronger as a result of the people that are, you know, their their citizens are making more money and um, gainfully employed. So uh, it's it's bigger than just the corporate tax uh, that a lot of countries, uh, you know, days past that were suffering, were really looking at as a, a means to actually uh, protect their economy and grow it. Yeah, and uh, so certainly a lot of uh, the benefits there that uh, can lead to um, just a, a lower effective tax rate for a company like Microsoft. The other thing that I found really interesting is that with companies, they have an army of accountants that are helping to prepare their financials and also doing a lot of tax planning, looking for ways to try to reduce taxes. And so in a former life, I worked at an energy company and one of the benefits that companies have um, at the time, I'm not sure if this is still something today, but you were able to write off fully the cost of software development against that current year's taxes. So we were an energy company that was writing our own software instead of buying it um, from a vendor. And one of the sole drivers in doing that is because it was a very effective tax shield where it helped to dramatically decrease our taxes that were paid every year. And that's just one example. And so what's also interesting is that these tax codes that are put out to try to incentivize behavior, there's literally a small army that looks for how they can best take advantage of that. And sometimes it's it results in a much greater drop in the tax code than, or in the tax rate, I should say, rather than what was expected. And so I think that's also another area that they're trying to say, well, that's great. I mean. I, I would argue part of their job is to try to take full advantage of the tax codes given. But now they're saying, well, you can do that up to a point. And so I know part of the proposal that's on the table today is uh, the lowest that they would allow the effective tax rate to drop to is 15%. So that's below the 21 that they have set that hurdle at, but it would say, you know, there's only so far that will let you push uh, taking advantage of these write-offs. So I think it's a very interesting proposal and one of those things that would significantly raise the tax revenue in the country without materially impacting the everyday person, at least on a uh, on a direct basis? Well, the one area that it could obviously impact would be, you know, obviously if the effective rate is 15, you know, and you're not having the ability to write off certain things, and obviously some uh, items are amateurized, other things are uh, able to be done over a shorter period of time, but you do run the risk of, um, you know, that research and development not being able to be written off. You also run risk of, uh, the amount of money that companies will then spend on equipment and infrastructure, uh, depending on if they're already kind of reaching that 15% level, uh, they may actually cut back on that. So that is something that the government has to give consideration to. And then obviously, you know, in our world, uh, the potential impact of uh, margins and earnings. So it's not that I don't feel like uh, 
companies should pay their their fair due or anything along those lines. But it is definitely something that we would be, you know, really be looking at closely uh, for the potential impact that it might have to the stock market. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great point. Is that with all these things, there's uh, negative externalities that should be considered. Like you mentioned, stifling growth and innovation. That is certainly uh, a potential impact. And I think to be realistic, it will have some impact there. The question is how much and uh, which one is, uh, I guess, more damaging to our society and economy over the long run, the lack of innovation or the lack of tax revenue. Makes complete sense. So, And then uh, the side that's a little bit more confusing um, is on the individual side. And so there's been a lot of articles and uh, headlines surrounding this concept of buy, borrow, die. Um, and so, Jeff, can you kind of walk us through what is that referring to? It certainly sounds a little bit morbid, but what is the tax loophole or strategy that people are describing when they use that phrase? Well, I mean, again, the, the people that I think have the, the biggest targets on their back are those that have uh, the most amount of wealth uh, to be able to be targeted. And again, there aren't enough billionaires out there to be able to vote people out, although they can certainly contribute to uh, political parties at a higher level than anybody else and have more uh, kind of play there. But what you're talking about you know, and the examples are, you know, com- you know, your, your super high net worth multi-billionaire uh, who owns stock in a publicly traded company. Uh, in most cases, uh, this, the example is of a company that would, is not paying a dividend. So there's no taxes that are coming from it. So we'll use a, uh, and Elon Musk, as an example, with Tesla and how much his uh, net worth has increased, yet he's not paying any taxes on it because he earns no money. He has tied all of his net worth to the company's stock that he owns. And what they're talking about is that these high net worth individuals can then borrow against their shares. So the buy part of it is they obviously own the stock in their company. The borrow part is rather than drawing an income or selling their stock where they would have to pay a capital gain, they're borrowing against it and then spending that money uh, as if it was income uh, with the idea that at their passing, their money will, A, there will be a step up in basis. Uh, Obviously, there is estate tax ramifications, but depending on how they've got it structured, uh, perhaps limited. So a person like uh, Bill Gates is giving away almost all of his money at his passing to charity. So the the net worth that he has built, and there's obviously a slew of other people like Warren Buffett and Zuckerberg and, and so on that have committed uh, to giving the great majority of their money away to charity uh, after passing. So uh, from looking at it from a governmental side of things, these are people that have made a ton of money. Uh, they've reaped the benefit of a democratic society uh, but yet they're not paying back into it because of the way that they're drawing upon the asset that they've built over time. So there's a lot of talk of uh, creating a net worth tax or uh, to limit uh, the amount that can go to a charity before it actually is subject to taxes. And, and obviously this gets very complicated because you know, what happens to the the end result, what is happening with regard to uh, you know, giving to charity and, and the support that charity does to society. So it's a, it's a pretty complicated overall subject matter when it really comes down to it. 
Well, that's that's really interesting because conceptually it's actually very simple. And uh, I get asked a lot by especially uh, newer clients that we start working with, how are the rich avoiding paying taxes? I mean, I want to be not that uh, they want to avoid taxes, but they want to be smarter about the taxes that they're paying. And this whole notion of all they're really doing is it's just borrowing against their assets because you don't pay taxes on a loan. Um, and then just writing that out to the uh till I guess their end of days. Um, what's really interesting is that this is only a strategy that works if you have a lot of wealth. Clearly, uh, if you only have a couple hundred thousand dollars, it would be far too expensive. It'd be cost prohibitive to do something like that. And so this is truly a either a uh, hundred millionaire or a billionaire type concept. Um, the one thing that I did find uh, interesting in the write-ups um, on the Democrats' proposal for this is that it's only targeting those that are billionaires and have had a billionaire or more in assets over the last three years. And I think this is something that will be lost on a lot of individuals if it's not covered correctly, is that this is not a proposal that is hitting people, uh, most people in this country, you, me, and most of the people that we work with. This is truly only targeting the ultra-wealthy that have the means to employ strategies that would just not be feasible for, for other people. So Exactly. So the other thing that's really interesting in, in light of all this conversation, Jeff, is that they've talked about changing potentially from an income tax to a consumption-based tax, or, I mean, there's a few different names uh, for it, but can you tell us conceptually, what, what are they referring to when they say that? Well, again, uh, a lot of the stuff that I've read historically on this has been more of a pairing. Uh, if, I mean, you could, save hundreds of millions, uh, uh, billions, uh, I should really say, every year with IRS, if you actually moved to a flat tax and then a usage tax. So rather than having the super complicated tax codes and how you went about paying your taxes, you just have a flat, this is how much you're gonna pay tax. Probably have an exemption for a specific dollar amount so that the uh, those that are at a lower income level uh, would be exempt from that tax up to a certain level, and then you just start paying it. And then it's based upon how you spend money. And so the taxes, would, you know, the IRS would be auditing, uh, you know, companies, retail companies, and so on, which there are far fewer of than individuals filing for taxes. So uh, it would be a much easier way of being able to um, monitor that now. The difficulty there is, and what you might run into, is you might push consumption outside of the United States. So what you've seen occur when we had a luxury tax is people that were buying yachts and planes and other things that are mobile, they would simply make that acquisition happen somewhere else. They would also create a corporation uh, that was an offshore corporation, which, by the way, is very legal, uh, fund that company and then have that company buy the asset for them offshore and have the entire usage of that asset. Um, so long as you're paying taxes on that offshore corporation, it's not illegal. So there are still lots of loopholes to get around that, whereas the average person going out and buying a car here, there, or wherever. Uh, is not going to be able to do it offshore, whereas somebody who has a ton of money can sit there and 
spend the summer in Europe. They buy their car there. There's no usage tax. They drive it around and uh, put enough miles on it so that it's considered to be used by the time they bring it to the United States and they avoid the, the uh, luxury taxes. So there's a lot of things that, uh, uh, that you can do to kind of play around with those. So again, some of the coordinated effort on a global basis are things that are truly necessary uh, if we're going to uh, solve some of the issues that we're talking about here. Yes, that's, that's actually really interesting is that no matter what solution we propose, there's always potential ways around it. And so uh, I can see now why there's been so much debate um, as to the best way to go about it. And uh, what's interesting with all this is that we talk a lot about globalization and how it's good for capitalistic societies because um, theoretically you get um, a greater amount of goods produced with the uh, same or lesser resources. But the other side of that, and this is where your other example is, is that it also leads to the ability um, to take advantage of tax rates in other jurisdictions that may be lower. So this is uh, something I'm sure that we'll continue to hear a lot talked about uh, over the next uh, several months and then probably uh, years into the future as people try to find out uh, or figure out a more fair way, I use fair in quotes, um, but uh, to spread the uh, cost of uh, running society in our country. So with that said, Jeff, is there any um, lasting thoughts that you have with us with regard to the subject or any uh, you know, I think that the big thing, and, and you've kind of hit on it a little bit, Jeremy, which is that a lot of people come to us with this notion of, well, how can I, you know, do what these ultra, ultra, ultra high net worth individuals are doing in order to avoid taxes also? Why is it that they can do it and I can't? And really, you know, at the end of the day, there are things that you can do to limit your taxes. I mean, obviously, uh, things like maxim, maximizing what you're contributing to your retirement account, uh, making sure that you are taking advantage of, you know, the deductions that are available to you. And some of those have gone away. Um, but uh, it, it's things like that that uh, are really your biggest safeguard in order to be able to limit your taxes as much as you can. Uh, they're just, as you said, there's a lot of very cost prohibitive things that the ultra rich are being able to take advantage of that you can't. So as much as it's awesome to sit there and, and hear about certain items, uh, there are things out there uh, that, you know, again, limit what the average person can be able to do with regard to, to, to mitigating that. So capital gains rates, you know, income taxes and so on uh, are just, they're very different for, for those that are at that, you know, most bleed level of of net worth. So uh, I would just say that you know try to maximize what you're doing yourself. Be smart about it, but don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog. Don't let your everyday life be affected by it, but you certainly want to be taking advantage of it as much as possible. Yeah, and and on that note, Jeff, one of the things that I would definitely recommend our clients and anyone that uh, is interested in talking with us is, uh, I mean, that's certainly a conversation to have regularly with your wealth advisor. Um, there are strategies that we can use to either avoid or in most cases defer taxes down the road where hopefully you're in a lower tax bracket or at a minimum you get the the growth on the tax deferred money to try to uh, move the needle in the right direction on on building the legacy for you and your family helping on retirement goals or whatever the uh, objective may be there 
And uh, to Jeff's point, there are a lot of effective strategies that are there. Um, and like everything, they just they build up over time, right? It's not going to be earth shattering the first year, but if you do it consistently, um, it can significantly contribute towards uh, the longer term goals that you've set out for yourself. So with that, Jeff, as always, really appreciate uh, the time and your uh, insights in this area and just giving us all a better understanding of the current tax environment and some of the proposals that we uh, keep hearing pinged around um, on various news channels. Yeah, my pleasure. And so and to all of our uh, listeners that were with us today, thank you so much for your time. And as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. LLC is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.